0: Good morning. Good morning. Hope you're all doing well. Um, I'm excited to be here and continue on in this series on the book of James. Uh, And the thing that we've talked about and noticed about uh, James, and it actually is reflective of Pastor James, too. It's kind of weird when you say James, like, which one are we talking about here? Uh, But in the book, um, it's a very action-oriented book. It's often referred to as even the Proverbs of the New Testament. Um, He works through a lot of these practical applications. And last week, Pastor James really focused on this issue of anger and the issue of being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. And so we kind of unpack that. And and, in the end of that verse, it says, because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so then James turns his attention and what really will be the kind of centerpiece of this entire book, this entire letter that he writes in verse 22. And it's a very simple but profound verse. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Pause for a moment right there. He says, be doers, not hearers, deceiving yourselves and so what James is, is, is getting at here is that there's a provocative truth and there's a there's a real danger involved with this thing that we're doing right now as we worship together, as we sit under teaching, as we fellowship, as we start launching into growth groups and and attending Bible studies, if we're not careful, we can end up deceiving ourselves. Deceiving ourselves how? What James is saying is, and, and this is the provocative truth, you can do all the Christian community You can do all the worship and experience all the content and not have transformation. In fact, what he says is Bible consumption without transformation is deception. That there's something very um, insidious about the tendency and the possibility that those who are absorbing all of what these truths are from God can end up deceiving themselves into thinking that they've experienced and achieved godliness just because they heard about it. And we've seen this throughout history. Uh, You know, the story is told, and I don't know if any of you have ever gone to Cape Coast Castle in Ghana. Cape Coast Castle is, is... a place where you could see the door of no return. It was the last stop for many, for millions of Africans who had been trafficked, captured, beaten, oftentimes assaulted sexually, and on their way to uh, thousands of miles away to this land, that this was their last stop at Cape Coast Castle. But the issue with Cape Coast Castle is that there was the slave dungeon, but on top of the slave dungeon, there was a chapel. Now, folks thought that because they were hearing the word, because they were worshiping, that somehow that made it okay and that they were on the right path when they were doing something very hypocritical. And this is why Frederick Douglass has said, listen to what, uh, you know, this is Black History Month, so we give you a little Black History Month moment. Listen to Frederick Douglass. He says in his autobiography, I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, Partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. Wow. He's saying that to love one was to hate the other. That that somehow there's something innately and and, and profoundly and fundamentally deceptive about saying that I love Jesus and I'm worshiping him and I'm spreading his truth while doing the exact opposite of what Jesus said to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Break and loose the chains of oppression. How is it possible that you can say those things and do those things, and, and, and here's what James is saying. It's possible when you're deceiving yourself, when you're being a hearer of the word and not a doer. And yes, even when someone says they're doing the thing in Jesus' name, it's actually even worse. Jesus really condemned this. He goes in and goes hard on this type of hypocrisy. Toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, this is what we read. This is the end of this incredible sermon. Jesus says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And it's interesting because that word hypocrite, uh, in the Greek, the the term actually meant an actor who assumed a character. And this is when we start to get into the depths of what James is referring to by deception. Because this isn't like a oops, I didn't realize, I forgot that I'm supposed to do some stuff. It's actually someone who is playing the part of trying to be righteous or pretending to be righteous but underneath all the time had unrighteous intentions. In other words, Sometimes we like to check the box to go to church, check the box to read the word so we can keep doing what we want to do and still feel like we can be righteous. And James is putting a red dot right there on our hearts and saying, don't deceive yourselves. And listen to how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 24 of Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Two houses look exactly the same from the outside, maybe even built with the same materials, but built on two different foundations. And the only thing that could tell the difference was adversity was what would happen when when trials came. Do not let someone deceive you and cause you to walk away from Jesus because you saw someone being deceptive and being a hypocrite. Because Jesus points right here and says, yeah, the houses might look the same, but in the end we'll see which one is really standing. That was the one that was built on my word. But nevertheless, how many of us have heard people be turned off by the faith, turned off by church, because they've seen and experienced people being hypocrites. And as a result of that, been deceived into thinking, well, if that's what it is to follow Jesus, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Jesus hates hypocrisy because it distorts the difference between godliness and ungodliness. Between righteousness and self-righteousness between hypocrisy and authenticity. In verse after verse after verse in scripture, we see it in Matthew 6, 2, verse 5, verse 16. He says, don't give like hypocrites, don't pray like hypocrites, don't fast like hypocrites, don't be hypocrites. And so James, the brother of Jesus, challenges this hypocrisy head on. Says, you'll deceive yourselves. And then he expounds on it verse twenty three for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like <laughs> we 've seen this up close and personal in a lot of different ways and um, Many of you don't know, Pastor James and I, we actually started out in full-time ministry together at Howard University uh, as campus missionaries there. And we would go on campus and, and, and share our faith and talk to students, and we never forget this one moment, and we've talked about this before, because it was so startling. And we're, we're having this conversation with these three guys on the yard, and we're sharing you know, our faith with them, and they're being very you know, uh, dismissive and, 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 and just kind of cynical and you know, as they're smoking their weed and just kind of doing whatever they're doing, and then this one other group stops, pauses, and then refutes the arguments of his friends more concisely and accurately and effectively than we could. And then we turn to him and say, so what, what do you think? And he's like, well, we all got something to think about, don't we? And turns out his name, they called him the Dirty Rev. That was his name on campus, Dirty Rev. (laughs) Because he was known, he grew up in church, he grew up under the word and reading it, but he lived a hot mess, and so they called him the Dirty Rev. (laughs) He had information, but no inspiration. And if we're not careful, This type of hypocrisy, a type of pretending to be righteous and thinking that we have something even to tell others. What do you think, do you think his boys, when they heard him give this incredibly precise explanation of the gospel, say, okay, what must I do to be saved, because Dirty Rev told me? Not at all. And so, this is what happens, this is what it looks like. He says, it's like someone who looks intently into a mirror. And like, you know, you ever wake up, and you, for some reason, either the lights went out, or you're not trying to wake somebody up, where you have to get dressed in the dark. And you think things are straight, right? You're like, you try to, you know, fix the tie or whatever, and you, you know, and, and you're looking a little wild, but you don't know it until you look in the mirror, and you're like, whoa, things ain't quite right. And James says, it's like someone doing that, like looking, okay, buttons a little off, uh, all right, cool, bet and then leave, and thinking that they've done something. No change, but because simply I looked, I read, then that must mean I get points. And he says, that ain't doing nothing. In fact, I think the greatest crisis in the church is hypocrisy. Because it deceives into people thinking that this is what it actually looks like. And it looked crazy. Some of y'all looking at me like, is he gonna fix himself? Because it looked crazy. So James says, he looks away, he goes away, and he forgets what he looks like. Everybody else can see the hot mess, but he can't. She can't. And, and in this, there's two specific application points that James points out, one is that the word needs to be applied, and application needs to happen immediately. Because over time, even if you think in the moment, wow, that was a great challenge. I need to change my life. Well maybe tomorrow, or maybe the next day, or maybe the next day, and all of a sudden that which continues to look crazy to everybody else will become normal to you. Reading the Bible without doing what it says, practic- practic- and I'm sorry. Reading the Bible without doing what it says is practicing the religion of hypocrisy. <laughs> that's what that's what Douglas said. This ain't Christianity. He said, in fact, it's libel to call it that. Libel is slander against a holy God. Hearing the word and not doing what what it says is worthless. So James gives a solution. In verse 25, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer and forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Somebody turn to somebody and say, be blessed in your doing. The blessing is in the doing, not simply the hearing. You catch that? that this is profound. He says, otherwise, you could, you could be doing all the worship and have all the playlists and, 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 and digging in the word, all you want, and if you're not actually applying anything, then you are deceiving yourself. The blessing is in the doing. He says that, but if you look intently into the perfect law, and immediately starts to change some things, immediately go, okay, wait, that's not how it says I should live in the word, oh, okay, and you adjust, and you make adjustments in your life, and you make adjustments that correspond with and align with God's word, that's where the blessing is. Now how you see yourself is how others see you as well. It's in alignment and ultimately how God sees you. The word tells us explicitly what to do and what not to do, but the change starts with me applying immediately. You know, uh, there was a show a while ago, I don't know if y'all, some of y'all remember this, called What Not to Wear. And it's kind of, the premise of the show was kind of hilarious actually. Because basically, friends and family members of someone who they thought dressed and looked a hot mess would reach out to the the show, Stacey and Clinton, and say, yo, could you help out my sister? She looks a rugged, ragged mess, or my brother. And then what they would do is they would film the person like making their decisions about their clothes, about their hair, about their makeup, and then they would kind of spring out of nowhere and go like, surprise, the people closest to you think you look a hot mess. We have confirmed that by looking at your choices, and now we're going to actually help you get better, right? But the first thing that they had to do was stand the person in the mirror and say, you need to see what we see. And the person go, no, 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 I like the polka dots and the stripes and the plaid. Like, it all goes together with the glitter on the face. With all, And they're like, no boo-boo. That ain't how it looked, and and the funny thing is, those are always funny to have the conversations afterwards. Like, you know, like I wonder what that was like. So y'all, y'all, y'all kind of all all thought I looked a hot mess, and didn't tell me nothing. But the word also tells us what not to wear. In Ephesians chapter four. Paul writes, starting in verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. In this, Paul summarizes a lot of what is the old self, a lot of what we need to take off. He says sensuality, greed, and then if that that ain't got you covered, (laughs) and every other kind of impurity. And then he says all of these things are not the way you learn Christ. That is not what he told you to put on. And so you have to take off your old self that is corrupt in its deceitful desires. That's what to take off. But he also doesn't leave us there and too often times in the church we have a lot of emphasis on what not to do, what not to wear, but not what to wear. But Paul gives us also the, the finishing touches of the extreme makeover, because in what not to wear, even though they started with saying no, you gotta throw this away, this isn't flattering to your figure or your body type, or this, this stuff, these patterns don't match, then they would give them a card, and then they would say go shopping, and then pick out stuff that you like, and then they would put stuff together and put on some things, and say now this is the grand reveal, and they would give them new clothes, they would give them new hair, new makeup, and give them, t- practical instruction and teaching about how to style themselves to bring out their best self. And in verse 23, we see that. He says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on, say "Put put on, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Once again, something profound. He says, you can be renewed in your mind, but not put on the new self. Like, you you can actually be, like, your mind can be convinced of who Jesus is, but you still got the old clothes on. He says, take the old stuff off and put on the new, and the new is made in the likeness of God in true righteousness. Not hypocritical self-righteousness, true righteousness and holiness. And this is just one of the lists that we get to see all the nice fits that we have in the kingdom of God. We also see it in Galatians chapter 5, where he gives another list of things. Anger, sorcery, sexual promiscuity, and he goes down the list. And then he says, these things have nothing to do with the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. This is what the new self is supposed to look like. That's what happens when we change what we see in the mirror and reflect God's image the likeness of God. We start to look more like Jesus to other people. But then there's something very interesting that happens at the end of this passage in verse 25. The word reveals that James, what James refers to as the law of liberty. In verse 25, we see, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, this is the one who is able to be changed and, there's a, and I think, we just have to ask a really important question. How can the perfect law be the law of liberty? Because if we're honest, have you ever thought that you knew what you looked like in a mirror at home and then you go to like a hotel, one of them joints that have like the bright lights around the mirror and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh. Or you just used to like the shoulder length ones and then you get a body joint and it's just like, okay. This is this is real. Like it was fun, it was funny when like HD cameras first came on the scene, like all the actors and stuff were like freaking out because it was like, yo, like. And this is the word that they would use. These cameras are unforgiving because they show every flaw in every crack. And, and, and so there's this tension that I see when I read the perfect law and the law of liberty because James himself in chapter two will also go on to say, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Talk about a mirror that shows imperfections, he said for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. God's standard is way up there. So that can end up feeling like bondage. Oftentimes we even hold ourselves to a standard of beauty that reflects some standard that's unrecognizable and unrealistic and impossible. And if we look in ourselves in the mirror and go, that's what I'm comparing myself to, that doesn't feel like liberty at all. It feels like bondage. So how do we get there? Well, this is why it's so important to understand what James understands this side of the resurrection. As Pastor James mentioned in our first message on James, he wasn't a believer in his half-brother while he was still on earth. We see that throughout the text. It wasn't until after the resurrection that he goes back and looks back into the life of his. and go, you are the son of God. And it changes everything. And so then he goes back and understands when Jesus says some things how this can manifest itself. So, for instance, Jesus in Matthew 5 says this, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I have come I have come not to abolish them but to fulfill them. So even as he's raising the bar, even as he's challenging tradition, he's saying that I'm not doing anything out of step with what has already been revealed. But in fact, this standard that you can't reach, I'm not abolishing the standard, I'm saying I fulfilled the standard. And because I have fulfilled the standard then that means you have access to actually making the standard that you wouldn't have had before okay you're looking at me crazy I gotta go back he said law and the prophets right can I teach for a second so so this is where he's getting at. in Jeremiah 31 this is the prophecy that we see thousands of years before for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their god then they shall be my people for i will forgive their iniquity and i will remember their sins no more they had a covenant and an agreement with god that was something that they realized time and time again they could not keep In fact, there was uh, every year, which is still acknowledged by uh, the the Jewish people, Yom Kippur, which is the the day of atonement, and the day where, because they recognized the sins that they had of that year were, were not completely covered, they would sacrifice a lamb, you know, put their hands on the lamb, bestowing their sin, transferring their sin onto that lamb, and that sacrifice, the bloodshed, would be the atonement for their sin. And Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. In other words, that was always pointing to me, which is why John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, it had to be a perfect lamb. Jesus was a spotless lamb. He did not sin before the Father. And so that sacrifice was worthwhile and perfect. And so now, based on that new covenant, this is why we take communion at the Last Supper. He says, behold the new covenant that is poured out in my blood. Do this as often as you drink and eat in remembrance of me. That is entering in us and inviting us into a new space where we can be justified and made right before God, not because of what we do, but because of what we believe. However, at the same time, what we believe, if it's really authentic, should look itself, it should transform itself in what we do. Which is why he ended the sermon on the mount with, don't be a hearer and not a doer, because that way, when the, ro- when the storms come, and some of us have had storms in our life, and you know what happens when it was built on your own self and was built on your own ingenuity, on your own whatever, and, it, and then the house fell down. But when you build it on the rock, You realize that regardless of whatever came, you can be sustained. All of this is built on this new covenant of Jesus. So the law of liberty can be good news because even though God's standard is so high, his grace is even higher. (laughs) Even though his standard is so high, our access to that grace is even higher because of what he's already done. It kind of reminds me a little bit, this word being a mirror, of Snow White, y'all remember Snow White? The whole plot in the movie, the the tension is, the evil queen is you. She has this magic mirror, and she said, "What she say, y'all? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all?" And typically. The mirror would say her, because she had this magic going on, so whatever she needed done, she would just get that thing done and make herself the most beautiful person in the land. But one day what happens? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Uh, Actually, it's somebody else, not you. Wait, what? What happens? And the mirror says, and I quote, Rags cannot hide her gentle grace. Alas, she is more fair than thee. Now this is where it gets a little interesting. The strategy that the queen has to once again take the number 1 spot isn't to like figure out what beauty tips she needs to like tweak and adjust with this magic she has. Her her strategy is to kill the number 1 person like like wow, like that's a that's a very interesting tactic. You know, just murder, right? But in any event, what it reveals is that the other problem with hypocrisy, the other problem with trying to look in the mirror and not trying to change you but change other people is it ultimately results in comparison and jealousy. You also ultimately have to compare yourself to others. But the thing that's so powerful is even though the queen looked to take her competition out, the prince of peace looks to switch places with those who could never measure up to him. (laughs) I'm telling y'all, the gospel's everywhere, y'all. Check it. In, In Isaiah 52, this is what we see. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Isaiah is seeing in advance, in the future, the suffering servant, that would be the one that would be our redemption. What it took for Jesus to be the sacrificial lamb was not something we should skirt over easily. And you should see the fact that even though he was the only one that could look in the mirror and say I am the fairest of them all, he allowed himself to be beaten, to be bruised, to be whipped and to be tortured for our sake and he became disfigured as a result. So the one who is the highest standard didn't say who is the fairest of them all, mirror, mirror. He said, Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And that is our access into the law of liberty because it's no longer this unreachable standard that we are called to reach and claw and try and and push other people down to get there to, to compare ourselves to them. But it's something much deeper, something much grander, something much more profound. Because it's based on the relationship that we have with Christ of what he's already accomplished. So now we don't do righteousness in order to justify ourselves. We do righteousness because we've already been justified. And that's good news. That's liberty. That frees me up. That means I can come to God and recognize I'm, 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 a, I'm a wretch undone. I have aspects of my life that are still raggedy. I have aspects of my life that I still can't get right even though I look in the mirror. And I need your help to do it. I need your grace to do it. And the law of liberty welcomes us in and says, I will give you both the means and the ability to not just be a hearer, but a doer. Jesus was disfigured so that we could be transfigured. There's an exchange that happens where he took the penalty that we deserved in our place so that we could experience transformation. Amen. The gospel, the law of liberty empowers us to not just hear the word but to do the word. And so, he invites us put off stewing in anger and killing other people's reputations with your gossip when you're upset at them. Put on forgiving those who sin against you and praying for your enemies. Put off lying on your taxes. I know what time it is. I know what time it is. Put on telling the truth even when it costs you money. Put off sleeping with people you're not married to or watching others who do. Put on seeing others as made in the image of God with dignity and respect. Put off exploiting people who have less power than you and put on advocating for the poor and the marginalized. Put off being hearers only of the word, put on doing what the law of liberty says, and be set free. Bible consumption without action is deception. Bible consumption with action is transformation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for the law of liberty. We thank you for what you've done to accomplish what we couldn't. And we just pray, God, in those areas that you would help us to put off and put on. Put off our flesh and our old desires and put on your righteousness by grace. Lord, help us to acknowledge what today we need to do immediately. In Jesus' name, amen. If you wouldn't mind standing with me, this message would be incomplete without an opportunity to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. You may be here today and your heart has been pricked by this message because you recognize that there's a gap between hearing and doing. And that that law of liberty, that grace, that, that the, the, the redemptive power of Jesus is something that you want to take hold of yourself that, yeah, you may have heard these things before from your mom, from your dad, from granny, from whatever preacher, but you didn't take hold of it yourself. You haven't had Jesus become the leader and say, I'm going to actually do what you say do. Well, here's an opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. When you hear it, don't harden your heart, because when you do, even though you have the best intentions, I'll, I'll do it next week, I, I, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow, you'll end up being like someone who forget what they saw in the mirror. So here's an invitation to come forward, to be a doer of the word and say, by God's grace, I want change. I wanna embrace this law of liberty. I wanna be freed up to both have the power to do what God says and to actually know what it says. And we ask you to come up front just as a step of faith, as a determination. So we're just gonna give you a moment right now to just come forward if you're in the middle of the aisle, just ask to be excused. We, this is what we're here for, to invite doing of the word and not just merely hearing. So you're here today and you wanna be a doer, not just a hearer, deceiving yourself, but actually walking in the power in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just come forward. We wanna walk alongside you, we want to encourage you as you go through that journey, because it's hard, but it's possible because of him who was transfigured, now we can be trans, him who was disfigured, now we can be transfigured. Is there one who'll come forward If there's not one today, I know that there is one who has heard this message and realized there's some things I need to do. There's some things in the mirror I need to change. And so I'm just going to close us in prayer as we are about to experience worship. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 1030 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.